Yeah, Tony Bonatti with uh, the clarinet medley right there. And uh, that featured uh, the Woodchopper's Ball, Begin the Begin, and uh, Sing, 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 that uh, great uh, Benny Goodman uh, performance. We all hear, heard that. What was that, 1938, the Carnegie Hall concert, Tony? That, That's uh, correct. They did the long version of that? January 16th, 1938. Yeah. Was that the first biggest jazz concert at Carnegie Hall, wasn't it? Or say that again. That was the first jazz concert ever at Carnegie Hall. Oh, yes, I believe, that's, wasn't that it? was that was absolutely always the first. known as classical music hall. And then I guess he said, "Let's put a jazz concert there." First and time jazz was played in Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Went to Benny Goodman. Deanna went to Benny Goodman, and deservingly so. What a uh, what an all star performance group he had that night. And oh. he had Harry James and uh, what, Jiggy Krupa, Elman and Jiggy Gene Krupa. Krupa. Yeah, yeah. Hey. great, uh, great stuff. But that's a great uh, chart right there, arranged by Tony. Clarinet hits of the swing era. The Woodchopper's Ball, of course, uh, Woody Herman. Correct. Band, Begin the Begin, uh, Artie Shaw. That's right. And, of course, Sing, Sing, Sing. And uh, how, how, how did you learn how to do arranging, Tony? I know you went to school you know, for part of that, but that, that's a tough thing to do, isn't it, arranging? Or it's, it's a special skill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know the whole saying, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> <laughs> Need to make a living somewhere, right, other than just playing. <laughs> well, back in, uh, back in, I think it was around 1970, I decided to f- break out of my own and form my own group. And uh, we were going to do some road work. And out of Ch- I was living in Chicago. It wasn't easy to find players who were ready to go on the road anymore, you know, especially... Uh, you get in your 30s or so, you, you don't want to do that. You just want to stick locally. So I found a, a couple of a player, a couple of players, but they weren't exactly the highest musical level that you'd want. So mm-hmm. I had to kind of write some stuff out so that we could have a some kind of an arrangement there to do it. And I started that way, and uh, it just kind of grew uh, as, as time went on. Mm-hmm. And when I got to San Diego uh, there I had to do some big band stuff there and I, I kind of got into that and uh, it just kept developing and developing and uh, then now, of course today they have things with uh, computer software that um, well it doesn't arrange for you you still need to have the musical knowledge to right. do it but uh, it, it really does a lot of uh, wonderful things for you. Uh, you don't need to do the write it on the paper anymore that long no, arrangement paper. That's correct uh, that's correct and uh, the nice thing is you can hear it back. You don't have to wait until a band plays it until you find what the mistakes are. Oh, you can play it back? You can play it computer. right back. Uh, yeah. My, in fact, in my studio at home, I have, uh, uh, you know, on the computer, I have a program called Sibelius, which mm-hmm. is quite, quite sophisticated. And I have a, a keyboard, uh, which produces uh, all of the sounds on it. Right. And um, you, you put uh, anything you put in there, you can have it play back uh, with, uh, any arrange, uh, with any type of instrument you want to hear back. So uh, when I do an arrangement uh, for big bands, I can program the trumpets and the saxophones and, and uh, trombones and rhythm section really? all separately. And, uh, you know, as I'm doing it, I can listen to it. And if I don't like it, I can change it. You yeah. know? Where before, when you wrote on a piece of paper, you wrote it down and you just hoped and prayed that wait, wait till you got to rehearsal to hear it exactly yeah. and if you maybe maybe made a mistake in transposing some of the instruments or something you didn't know that until you till you actually played it and went oops <laughs> 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 but now you can hear it and you can change it and the nice thing too is when you write something this way uh, i've done quite a bit of work for various singers uh, in california and here and let's say you write something down and uh, they come to listen to it and they say, yeah, that sounds great. Just that two bars over there at letter B, I don't really like. Fine, I can change it right there and I yeah. don't ruin the whole arrangement. Or before, you'd have to write something else and then cut and paste it over the part that you right. just written. <laughs> there was that great scene in the uh, Glenn Miller story movie. Did you ever see that? Where oh, many, many the times. The trumpet player busts his lip, and now Jimmy Stewart has to spend all night rearranging the charts, to, and then he finally gets that sound. That, exactly. You know, that, I don't know how true that part of the story is, but, uh, but he's, he's showing with all that paper all over the place, you know, doing it by hand. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the, uh, yeah, that's how they got the clarinet in here, because the clarinet and trumpet are both... There's a clarinet the, lead that uh, right. they didn't have, I guess, until he had to do it because the trumpet player's lip broke. That, that's the story in the movie. But, that's, uh, yeah, just, that's what I've heard, too. So yeah. I, I don't know if it's uh, true or not, but that, that's a story. Well, that's painstaking work, though, I mean, in arranging. I mean, it takes a while. 
Well, because yeah. you got to do each instrument, you got to hear it in your head, right? What the, each instrument supposed to, or section is supposed to sound like. Yeah, that, or you're sitting at a keyboard or something, and you just kind of noodle around with it yeah. until you say, "Well, here, here's the, it's a you get a premise going, you know, and then you say, "Okay, this is uh, this is it." And uh, you uh, you start to write it, and then you start adding the various instruments on it, and uh, it it, uh, it can get quite complicated at times. It's very 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 complex in, in certain mm -hmm. uh, certain venues, but it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, something I could do for hours and hours at a time and never never come out of the room. <laughs> How about when you when you have a standard you work with, a song that people are familiar with? To try and find a little different angle on it, that must be kind of a challenge, right? To, to add something different to it, or, or is it not any different than a, a new song arrangement? Mm, well, again, it, it takes whatever type of premise you want to use. Right. I mean, sometimes you want to take something, uh, uh, a standard, and just make it sound like a standard. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do anything to don't it. Don't add any know? embellishments. Uh, well, you just want to make it sound the way it sounded 30, 40 years ago, right. you know, the, if I do certain big band arrangements that I want it to sound like the original, then I will do everything I can uh, to make it sound exactly like Glenn Miller or Benny Goodman or whoever did mm. the arrangement. But then, yeah, there's sometimes when you want to give it a different treatment and uh, you have to kind of sit there and first come up with a, a basic premise uh, of uh, how you want to do it and then, and then take it from there. Mm. Who are some of your favorite bands growing up uh, that you listened to? Did you have one or two that influenced you more than any other, or anything that that you know you said I love this band more than you know any other band? Well, my father was a drummer, as I mentioned before, and mm -hmm. he used to when I was in my teenage years uh, in the fifties. There, when rock and roll was just making its uh, debut. My father was bringing home Dixieland records <laughs> uh, and big band, you know, I mean, uh, Benny Goodman. And, right. and uh, it, well, I was playing clarinet at the time. That was my major instrument. So he, he brought me a lot of stuff on uh, Woody Herman and, and Benny Goodman. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, very uh, interested in, in that kind of music. Also, for big bands uh, back in that time, Stan Kenton was a marvelous musician. Uh, not necessarily understood by the common person so well. Right, he had some uh, unique arrangements. Uh, but very, yeah. In fact, even today you can listen to them and they sound quite, quite normal, contemporary even yeah. today. So right. this was written over fifty years ago. Uh, Stan Kenton and of course Woody Herman had a great band, and then Buddy Rich's band, of course, was just outstanding. Mm. Uh, the the players he had in that. Uh, that that was uh, that that was very uh, influenced me quite a bit during that time. Yeah, Buddy was an interesting guy. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you ever heard these tapes. Uh, they were famous tapes for many years. They're actually on YouTube now of him uh, on the bus after some gigs where he wasn't too happy with his musicians. <laughs> Have you ever heard those? <laughs> uh, I've heard of them, and I know guys. And I mean, I knew musicians uh, who actually he was tough. Who actually worked with them, and yeah. Uh, yeah, they they didn't have a lot of nice things to no, say. No, but, but you know, but he was a genius, and geniuses exactly. can be like that. Exactly. Yeah. When you uh, when you get to that point, uh, you know, you, 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 I think you're entitled to do what you want to oh, do. Oh yeah. And in fact, I saw him in New York. Uh, we were playing there in 1974. My group. Uh, uh, downtown New York, and and he still had his place, Buddy's place. Buddy's place, sure. Yeah, and we uh, we went uh, for his second show, and he he just had like a uh, six or seven piece uh, group. Oh, marvelous players! So Sal Nistico on tenor saxophone, oh, yeah. Johnny Bunch on piano, uh, unbelievable players. And uh, he sat very quietly back there. I mean, played and featured the guys. He didn't do any his uh, his, his stuff. Uh, just played and featured the guys and. Then finally, after about a half hour, 40 minutes, he sent the guys off the stage, and he sat there, and he, he got up in the microphone, and he started doing his stand-up act. Oh, know, comedy? <laughs> <laughs> and he was, you know, doing... Any good? Oh, very good. Was he good? Yeah. Very good. He, he, you know, hey, he had a black belt in karate. You didn't mess with this That's guy. That's right. No I heard what. about that. Right? <laughs> yeah. And he was a great tap dancer, too, by the way. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, he was a wonderful hoofer, as they yeah. say. He's a great tap dancer. He was a child prodigy wasn't he in yes, Bourneville? yes he was so yes, he from was. what four or five years old he was a star exactly yeah. but he was funny up there and finally he got to the end and <laughs> he looked at his watch and he says well folks i'm gonna go home watch broderick crawford go 10-4 10-4 on highway <laughs> patrol you know and of course everybody in the room came to see buddy rich yeah. you know they would play a song the whole audience come on buddy you gotta play a solo and he's, no 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 i you know i own the place i can do whatever i want to do it he's just coming out like crazy 
finally, after about ten minutes of begging the audience, just to, and he was knew what he was doing. Yeah. This wasn't just a milking it. Yeah, he, he he knew what he was doing, and finally the people were just like standing on the table screaming, "You got to play!" So he said, "Okay." He says, but I'll tell you right now. He says, if I get up there and play those drums, it's going to be the greatest thing you've ever heard. (laughs) 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 He he, he went, no band, nothing. He just Just picked up the sticks and he just played for about 10, 11 minutes, you know. And he got finished and he walked up to the microphone and he said, I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) He he had an ego. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Is it fun for for guys like you to see other guys perform? I guess it's kind of like, you know, if you play golf and you watch golf, you pick up things. Is it that that way for musicians? At that level, yes. To watch a Buddy Rich or, uh, I think, in Clarinet, many good men or any top stars uh, who really achieve the ultimate in their business. I mean, you've got to sit there and you got to be in awe. I mean, you know what they're doing, but exactly. they're at a level that, you know... That's Doug, you just hit level. it right on the money. I mean, jazz is an acquired taste. It's like eating asparagus or broccoli. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't come naturally no. for most people. <laughs> and the more you know about music, I mean, the more you really get into and understand what music really means... Uh, the more you'll appreciate jazz. I'm not putting down people who don't have any background to it. You just like to sit and listen to it and say, it's wonderful. That's great. I mean, you know, without them, we wouldn't have a a job. So it's important. But when you've studied music and you've spent your years of uh, developing that skill and understand it, and then you hear somebody do it to the nth degree, I mean, (laughs) there's nothing greater in the world to hear that. Tony Bonatti is our guest, and happy to have him with us today in studio. Uh, WSLR LPFM 96.5 on your FM dial in Sarasota, WSLR.org. Big Band Files with Doug Miles, the name of the program. We're here each Sunday, 11 to 1 p.m. Stay tuned for Bill Spielberg coming up uh, 1 to 3 today. Great jazz in the afternoon on Sundays. And then on Monday nights, Mike Finley at 9 p.m. Tuesdays, you have the, the great Blue Note program at 11 a.m. And then my pal Al Burton on Thursdays playing the American uh, Popular Songbook, 11 a.m. on uh, Thursday. So we got it covered for you during the week, jazz-wise, and all sorts of great music and programming-wise. So please check out our uh, schedule at uh, WSLR.org. Back to more music now. Here's Tony Bonatti and Harlem Nocturne.
There's an old uh, standard right there, which, uh, Tony, I know you played it that night. Oh, yeah. Months ago at uh, at the Elks Club, the uh, the Ray Airbly Scholarship, String of Pearls. That's of course the Glenn Miller Orchestra there. That's uh, that's one I guess you almost have to play any time you're out in a gig, right? With the big band. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that that's a classic. In fact, that the arrangement I have has not only String of Pearls, uh, it also has uh, it, it merged together with Pennsylvania Six Five Thousand. Five Thousand, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, which was actually the number of the Hotel Pennsylvania. Exactly. It may still be. I'm not sure if it changed or not, but. Uh-huh. Uh, Right across from Madison Square Garden. That's yeah. correct. Hotel Pennsylvania. You know, those must have been fun days. You know, we, we were booked in a hotel, the bands, for a month or two at a time. I guess that's what bands kind of aspired to back then, right? So you'd be in one place for more than one night. Well, you know, it was, I think, 1967, 68. I was playing, when I, I was playing with Tex uh, We We stayed in a hotel in Detroit. I think it was called the Wolverine. It's gone now. <laughs> you got if you got in there before six o'clock in the morning, you could stay for six dollars a day. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was uh, we were Tex Manikey's band, of course, and then we used that for our place. We we do different jobs uh, in, in other areas, but we stayed right in Detroit. Now the second day, uh, the Jimmy Dorsey band pulls in, stays at the same hotel. Oh yeah, and then the third day. Glenn Miller's band actually pulls in <laughs> with the Buddy DeFranco, who was... That's right, he running. ran it then, yeah. So he got three bands all staying in the same hotel. Uh, now, I was just a young upstart at the time. I didn't know. But there was a lot of the older guys who knew all guys in the other band. Yeah. Like one big clique. And you're walking up and down the hallway of the hotel, and you see guys sitting there with their instruments out, and they're all kibitzing about uh, this thing and that thing. And I'm saying to myself, I was born 20 years too late. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what it must have been like back in the 30s. Uh, when, when Riding the buses, bus. or even before there were buses, I yeah, guess. Yeah, in the cars. That's right. what we did. We, yeah. we drove in cars, actually, to, to get up to Detroit. Uh, but uh, it was it was a marvelous experience, uh, just hanging with with all of those guys and listening to the stories. Uh, unbelievable. It's probably like baseball teams back in those years. I mean, they traveled by train and and, and bus or maybe cars back then, and, and the camaraderie between you know the long road trips. Uh, it was different That's than right. riding planes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Very different. What, what was it like uh, doing the one-nighters? How many did you ever have a string of one-nighters? You know, oh. thirty in a row, anything like that? Oh yeah, I was uh, same time, same era, around sixty-seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. I also played with the Dick Shorey Percussion Pops Orchestra. Dick Shorey was the marketing uh, manager for Ludwig Drums. Oh yeah, and uh, he would go out every year with a uh, orchestra. It had, um, I think, it had uh, three trumpets, two trombones two French horns, and three saxophones, uh, which we doubled on. That's how I learned to play flute. Right. Because you had to play like five different, at least five, six different woodwinds to do it. And also he had three, well, four percussionists, one drummer and three percussionists. There was 200 percussion instruments in front of the uh, uh, the band. And we did nothing but one-nighters. It used to take two hours to set the band up just with all of that stuff. And another, you know, two hours to take it it down. And uh, we would uh, we we'd start out in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we'd go all the way across into the uh, uh, over the far west, uh, down into um, New Mexico, and then back into Florida, and then back up all one nighters. One nighters. It huh? was unbelievable. unbelievable. So you, what, your gig would end about one o'clock, two o'clock. Uh, no, uh, we did the we did. The, it was a concert. It wasn't. A, we weren't actually playing dance music. It was a concert. So you started at eight o'clock and you were finished by ten. And so you break down and by, well by midnight you're getting out of there. Well, the first year I was on the bus, I didn't have to worry about breaking down. I just you know played my instrument, packed up, and went home. But the second second and third year, I was on the, I was on the truck uh, that actually helped set up the the yeah. band as well. A friend of mine was on it. You got paid extra money. You get more money for that. So yeah, I, got, I think I made an extra hundred and fifty dollars for doing that. <laughs> and uh, I, I was on the truck, so yes, it took us about midnight. By the time we we pack up, then we would drive all night. That's what I mean. You got to drive right after that. Exactly. The way the bus when you stay when you were with the band, you, no, you went back to the hotel, you slept, and then you got up the next morning. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on the truck, uh, you left right away. You drove all night. You get to the next uh, the next place. Uh, you know, maybe about seven eight o'clock in the morning, uh, and then you'd sleep. 
and then you'd get up and you'd go to the you'd have something to eat and then you go to the auditorium set up and then play and then play. do it all over play again, again. Wow. Yeah, for for two three weeks at a time i guess you you learn where all the good coffee places are oh that's, <laughs> we were in a, we were in a place it was uh what was it, it was in wyoming we were playing going through wyoming wyoming <laughs> and i mean you did not <laughs> this was back in the late 60s yeah. right and you drive 200 miles, you would not see a, hum- nothing. a human being. <laughs> no. I mean, nothing. So anytime you saw a gas station, you stopped to get gas, yeah. right? You, you would say, I don't need it. It's but a I'm human get- contact. Uh, that, but you didn't know the next time you'd see a gas station, yeah. you could run out and you could be left out there for days with no gas. So we'd stop any place we'd see a gas station. And we stopped at this one place, and they had this real, I mean... Uh, cockroach type of bar <laughs> where they had some restaurant there and everything and it, it looked, really looked greasy Bad. really greasy you know I said listen if we don't eat now we may not eat for days so let, let, let's get something so we went in and we ordered two hamburgers <laughs> a bag of chips and a coke or something and um, we sat there and we had to wait about 20 minutes for this thing and they finally brought it up I bit into this hamburger it was the most delicious piece of meat I have ever eaten in oh, my really? life. It was unbelievably good. It was like eating a great filet. Like you know, sirloin, yeah. It was unbelievable. I paid the bill. It was $1.65 or something at the time. It was just, you know, beyond all. They were happy to see somebody there to cook for, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what, I don't know. I didn't want to see it cook. Who goes to Wyoming unless you have to? That's right. It's like Jersey. That's right? right. That's right. But it was, it was, a, it was quite an experience. I never had a greater hamburger in my life than yeah. I did right there. Well, you learn a lot on the road, I guess, don't you? About you yourself and about life, don't you? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Tony Bonatti is our guest. We'll get back to the music in just a minute. The city of Sarasota is issuing a call to artists for the downtown Sarasota Historic District. For unique sidewalk inlays, the inlays will replace dozens of 16 by 16 inch gray tiles along the Main Street sidewalk. Selected local professional artists will be paid to create a one-of-a-kind inlay. The deadline for submissions is July 28th. Interested artists must reside in Sarasota or Manatee counties. Applications are available online at uh, www.sarasotagov.com slash public art. Check the website for all the particulars. Back to the music right now. Here's Tony Bonatti once again. Here's the Swingin' Years medley.
cozy spot to cuddle and coo. Just us, just we. I have missed an awful lot. My trouble is you. Jan Eberly and the big band with uh, Tony Bonatti. Great chart right there of uh, Just You and Just Me from the Blue Champagne uh, CD she put out a couple of years back. And uh, you arranged that, didn't you, Tony? That, that chart there, the Just You, Just Me? No, I didn't arrange that. That was, uh, written, uh, that was arranged by Ricky Lombardo. Ricky Lombardo. Uh, who has uh, been uh, Jan's arranger for quite some time. Great arranger. Super, super. Yeah, that's a good chart. Good, yes, good, it is. Good, uh, good number. From uh, the big band years, maybe a little bit lesser known standard, but uh, nonetheless, uh, a good swing and number right there. So that's, that's a lot of fun. And, of course, Tony worked on that with her and is, is working on a show with uh, both Jan and uh, Ray Eberly Jr., which, uh, if you weren't with us before, they're going to be doing some gigs all around, uh, hopefully around the country, but definitely around Florida and here in Sarasota. I believe next January is the first one on, that's on right. the books at, for Glenridge. At Glenridge Auditorium, right, January 9th. January 9th. We'll, we'll of course, have them on way before then a few times. But uh, a tribute again to uh, Ray Eberly and the music of uh, Glenn Miller's Orchestra, uh, Jan and both Ray Eberly uh, Jr., who performed at the uh, scholarship dinner back in uh, February at the Elks Club. And uh, Jan stopped by before. Good to see her, and we'll get her on again real soon. And they raise money each year for, uh, I guess, a college student. Yes, uh, she to uh, go to any music school they want to go to, I suppose. Right? Uh, it's all done through the Glenn Miller uh, Scholarship Fund. Scholarship Fund, and right. then she has her own the you know the Ray Eberly Scholarship, a vocal scholarship fund. And I think uh, we raised forty five hundred dollars this year. She was saying at the at the dinner that night, Bob Hope uh, was one of the first contributors to the fun at that time. He was a big mm-hmm. fan of uh, the Glenn Miller and, and of course, Ray Eberly mm-hmm. back then. So uh, it's got great, great tradition there. And, of course, Tony working on that, doing arrangements now as we speak, still working on uh, putting the show together. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, um, I've done quite a few for her. I'm just finishing up one, one little piece uh, that I'm, I'm working on with her right now. And um, uh, she's pretty much laid out everything the way she wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be... Uh, uh, very interesting the way uh, she, she, she puts it together, and of course, with her background and, and the things that she can talk about, it's it's uh, pretty the stories she, she behind gives the a song. lot of a lot of yeah. insight, a lot of insight into what uh, what went on during that time. Will you put together the band too? Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I've already got the the, the musicians booked for January 9th. They got some of the top players in town. Oh, great, great, and of course, as it. Moves along, uh, more bookings, hopefully. Uh, hopefully. Around, uh, around the state and, and perhaps around the country, you'll do some, right? Yeah, it would be wonderful. Yeah. It would be wonderful. Maybe one of those PBS specials. There you go. There you go. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll do something on the radio about it, too. So okay. So let's, let's uh, maybe do some... Uh, I'd love to do a live remote. That would be great. We okay. Put some kind of live remote together, you know? 
Well, we'll work on that. Okay. Yeah, like the old days. Did you ever do any of those? I know it was in the 60s they weren't doing them as much, but did they uh, ever do anything like that? Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I did. We we did some. Probably did some TV work. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Did that, but uh, there was there was a few things. I just trying to remember exactly what they were. you know, the older you get, the harder it is to remember this stuff. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, more to remember. Yeah, that's right. There, there you go. i got to remember that. <laughs> but those must have been great days listening to those radio transcriptions of, you know, from high atop the Aragon Ballroom and exactly. all those great announcers exactly. back then. Yeah. I would have yeah. loved to have been around then. I guess, like you said, you were born 20 years too late. Same with, same with me. Uh, you know? You know, so, I, in some ways, I think that. Because I, I have tastes of that era. <laughs> I got the dance at the Aragon Ballroom. Did you really? Yeah, well, I was from Chicago. Yeah. And uh, I got to be a pretty good dancer. My mother uh, was uh, taught me how to dance when I was in my early teens. So when I take a girl out, uh, you know, later on, first thing I do is I take her to the Aragon, Aragon? Ballroom. Yeah. yeah, because I could dance pretty good, <laughs> and I could impress them pretty well with, that, with, my, with my fancy footwork. And then afterwards, I take them to the Blue Note in Chicago. Oh, yeah, right. Did you ever hear of that? Sure, sure. Well, the Blue Note was an incredible place. I'll tell you, uh, this this is worth mentioning. The owner of the Blue Note uh, saved an area. There was a reserved area for people under age. It was a second balcony there, and you could walk in, and they'd seat you in this area. And for five dollars, you'd get two cokes, <laughs> <laughs> and you could sit there all night, you and your date. And listen to Duke Ellington, uh, Count Basie, uh, any of the jazz stars at that time who were playing there. You could sit there all night for $5 and listen to that. Now, that owner was giving up a lot of money with those tables. because He couldn't sell booze, obviously. Exactly. He couldn't sell. But you were welcome in there, and you just had to sit in that area. And then, cute, one of the most marvelous things was there was a little card on the table. It was called the Degmas Club, D-E-G-M-A-S. You could fill out, and it stood for the Duke Ellington Greater Music Appreciation Society. Oh, yeah. And you filled it out if you were a musician, and once a month, the owner of the Blue Note would uh, either rent out or make arrangements for some place in Chicago, a bar or something, which was closed, Mm -hmm. but would have an open jam session for all the kids, the young jazz players who wanted to play, and whoever was playing at the Blue Note had to be at the jam session. Oh, really? (laughs) It was in their contract. (laughs) Well, I'm up there one night, I'm I'm playing at this jam session, and we're doing some blues or something, and I got my eyes closed, and I'm just honking away for everything. I'm about 17 years old. I'm honking (laughs) away for everything I'm worth, and I hear this voice behind me saying, yeah, baby, go, man, go, go, go. I go, "What, what in the world? I turn around, it was Harry Carney, the baritone oh, saxophone wow. player with Duke Ellington. <laughs> the entire Duke Ellington sax section showed up at the at the jam session. Jam session, wow. Johnny Hodges, I mean everybody, and it was, uh, I mean it was just an incredible experience. It's like meeting uh, Joe DiMaggio. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, a baseball player, or a jazz player. That's 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 and, the and, and these lineup. guys were so helpful. They were just you know they were urging you on and helping yeah. you out. It was it was a wonderful experience to grow up in that era. Wasn't that the club Joe Williams played yeah, out a lot? Sure. Great singer. Blue yeah. Note, yeah. Blue, Blue Note, it was, uh, well, everybody. Great singers went through there. Everybody yeah. in jazz played played the Blue Note in Chicago. So yeah. you had to go up second story uh, there off of Clark Street in Chicago. And uh, it was uh, it was a place that really defined that era of jazz in the fifties and sixties. Chicago, 60s. obviously New York, Kansas City at one point was a big yes. jazz town. Yes, yes, uh, they were. L.A. had their own right. style back then. I guess right. each city had its own style of jazz, right? Right, right. But yeah. what I like to I mean, Chicago, that young people that yeah. this man uh, really thought it was important for young people to be influenced by Good. jazz. Kept your future audience uh, coming back in 10 years or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Tony Bonatti is our guest and uh, in studio today. Great to have him with us. Great musician, band leader, arranger. And uh, give out your website, Tony. We haven't done that yet. People want to get in contact with you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, www.tbpmusic.com. tbpmusic.com. Dot com. And... Uh, 
And it's got everything. Email mode. on there, phone number, all that. Yeah, all my email is on there. And the same thing at tbpmusic at aol.com for that. But the Any uh, gigs, everything coming yeah, up? My gigs are under bookings and uh, my background and uh, uh, people interesting in, uh, interested in having, uh, say, vocalist people who want to have arrangements done. You can contact me through sure. through the website. And um, also uh, my, my CDs are available on, on the website uh, and uh, just... Uh, also, jazz links to other other you know jazz uh, things here in town and all through the country. I just uh, saw you on Twitter. You, you joined that. I just joined yes, it myself. I guess we have to get into that. That's in a, well, my twenty first century. My grandson <laughs> got me into that last week. He I wasn't was going to do it. I think that's ah, good for promoting what we do. Yeah. Might as well. Yeah, my grandson started telling me about it. He says, Grandpa, you got to go on this. This is really good yeah. stuff. I said, what am I going to do on that, for heaven's sake? No, you got to do it. And people want to know about jazz. They'll find out yeah, about jazz. That's oh, great. Okay, so I, I went on it. And next thing I know, you've contacted me. So I guess Yeah, we had each other's emails, but it was good to be on there. So yeah. uh, it's, it's good, to, good to do. There will be a public forum on diversity and nonviolence presented by the city of Sarasota uh, this Thursday, June 25th. At 7 p.m., the event is being held at Sarasota City Hall in the City Commission Chambers. That's 1565 First Street. Mayor Clapp will give the opening remarks, and the forum will be moderated by Corey Hart. There will be speakers from Sarasota High School, Sarasota Military Academy, the Sarasota Sheriff's Office, the Police Department, and a member of the community. The sponsors of the forum are the Coalition of Inclusion and Diversity and a Citizens Initiative of Peace Alliance. The forum is free and open to the public. For more information, call Joyce Raby at 921-3375 or online at the TTJ2 at Verizon.net for more information. Back to the music right now. Here again, Tony Bonatti with the St. Louis Blues March.
branches green along the stream that runs to sea. Listen to my plea. Dan Everly, Tony Bonatti there on the flute from the Blue Champagne CD. Willow, Weep For Me. That's a nice song. Yeah, yeah very nice. Yeah. So with you on the flute there? Well, must, I guess that's one of the tougher instruments to play jazz on, isn't it, the flute? Yeah, it sure is, especially, <laughs> especially when you're 
doing it as a what they call a, du- a double. You're playing saxophone or clarinet in front of it, and then you have to pick up a flute. Uh, it, it can be quite challenging. Yeah, because you're blowing hard into a clarinet. Well, it's, it's a different. It's a different. And the flute's a different kind of different mouth control, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, it, uh, it, it, it usually it's better if you start out like when we did that recording session. I remember I told her, I says, please do all of the flute things first. Yeah, <laughs> uh, don't 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 do that. Where uh, after I've just played something, you know, on a clarinet and a real. And then you got to hold back almost. Well, you? yeah, you, you you just that your your bottom lip gets so uh, exhausted. I mean, yeah. tired out uh, when you're playing on a clarinet, especially in the high register or something. And then you have to pick up a flute. You can't even feel yeah. what your bottom lip is doing. It's it's very hard. Uh, the, the art of doubling is 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 something you have to sit down and study separately from just learning to play the instrument you sure. have to learn how to double from one to the other yeah, yeah. it's not easy to do yeah. I no, played clarinet a little bit in, in, in elementary school and just trying to hit those high notes were tough you got to really you know the mouth control and all that it's not uh, easy oh yeah and most of your jazz is played in the upper register isn't it in clarinet yeah well, for the most part on, on clarinet uh, yeah on clarinet uh, very uh, quite a bit and even on the flute I mean you, it's uh, it sounds very pretty in the low register but uh, I mean, unless you're in a, a recording environment where everything can be uh, adjusted for you when you're playing out in the average place, you don't go in the low register very sure. much. It's just not heard. Yeah. Uh, but in a recording session, you can do it. But uh, that that day with Jan, it was it was very interesting. As I said, she she went right for it. She didn't um, she didn't want to rehearse anything or go through it too much. Uh, she just said, "Let no, let's just." Put on the let's do it. Put it on yeah. and let's do it. And I'm going, oh boy, uh, <laughs> I got to, you know, I'm trying to sit there and listen to the way she was phrasing things, and I had to kind of work my way in between her so right. I didn't step on anything that she was doing. And uh, it was it was quite a challenge to do it. But hey, it was it came out as I'm listening to it because I didn't listen to it that much after we did it. Now I'm listening to it now as you're playing it. And I said, hey, that wasn't too bad. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, when she was in, she said she liked to do it like the old days of you know Frank Sinatra, Capitol Records, which he did live for the most part with and the band only, all there. And at that time, they only used one microphone. They stuck it in the middle of the, the, middle band of the room. And everybody right? played. Yeah, yeah you didn't yeah. have everybody on separate tracks like you do today. It's uh, quite different. I think that's the way he preferred to do it. Uh, well, that was maybe you had to then. I don't know. That if was the technology of the day. Yeah, that was that's the way it was done. They uh, used an omnidirectional mic, and yeah. and everybody uh, you know played. And uh, I don't know how when you listen to the recordings today uh, of some of the stuff that was done, how they ever got it so 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 clean right there. Yeah, yeah it was amazing that they did it. That you ever hear any of those? Uh, sometimes in the recordings now they'll have the you know the before and after where Frank would talk about what he wanted to do. The session recordings, and he knew what he wanted, Frank. Oh, yeah. Those of course. He, was, he pretty much directed those recordings oh, yeah. with Nelson Riddle, didn't he? Yeah, he, well, he was another like Buddy Rich, you know. I mean, he was the boss. He was the boss, <laughs> and you didn't argue. Uh, he didn't Not argue. too many bad notes played when Frank was singing. Not at all. But there was a place in Miami, he was doing a thing at the Fountain Blue, and a rehearsal and he didn't like the sax section fired the whole sax section right? rehearsal <laughs> and uh, they had to hire a whole new sax section to come in that night that night Whoa, oh boy. boy that would put a little pressure Frank was a little there. mercurial <laughs> <laughs> yeah great sure. talent but he could be a little difficult oh yeah uh, yeah but again he earned but the he right. was right most of the time right he earned the right to be there so yeah, you gotta give great. him credit Tony, again, uh, if you want to see Tony, he'll be performing live. Uh, is it tomorrow night he'll be back? At Buc- it's at weekly, Buc- right? Yes, at Bacalao's. Uh, uh, 6 to 9 at Bacalao's. It's uh, 6713, 47th, I mean, uh, 6713 on 14th Street Northwest, which is US 41. About a mile north of the airport? Yeah, about that. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, Jeff Lego on trombone and uh, Don Foster on drums. And uh, we got Johnny Young on piano on that one, and uh, we do three hours, six to nine. It's it's a great night. Good food there. They have Spanish cuisine and and oh, regular good. American food. It's it's excellent uh, restaurant and. Um, uh, you know, people come out, they're going to listen to some good jazz for yeah. the three hours. People can look it up on the internet, you know, all, the, all the particulars, but uh want to plug, you know, jazz. That's what we're plugging here. That's what we need. And that's what we, we need, need more people. We Tony, need. It, it's really a pleasure to have you come in. I know it's a bit of a ride for you. Pr- appreciate you driving down today. We'll do it again. Uh, we can do it on the phone, but you're always welcome in anytime you like. Doug, anytime with you. It's we'll, a pleasure. We'll have you on, uh, obviously, before the show with Jan in January. We'll do another you know, in studio, but uh, good to have you with us. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, my pleasure. We'll go out with uh, Tony in the band right now with In the Mood. 
have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.